You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Purpose to Promise, we walk through the first 11 chapters of Genesis from God's purpose for his creation to his promise to Abraham. So if you have your Bibles, I hope that you do, turn with me, not to Genesis, to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. So we had a little bit of um, shake up a little bit in, in what we're doing. We're, I'm still going to tie this into what we've been talking about with Moses. Um, but next week, Daniel's going to continue our journey uh, through Genesis. We're going to have two more weeks of Genesis. And then we're going to stop that. And then beginning at the picnic, we're going to start a new series on grace. And today is very much about grace. I'm going to try to preface it, um, what we're going to be doing in this series that is coming up, because I want you to hear this over and over and over again. In fact, I want you to be bored of it, because once you get bored of it, then I know that you know what I'm trying to tell you, right? Um, so uh, today is we're going to look at the power of grace. So over the, the last two weeks, we looked at the, the narrative of the flood, and we looked at Noah's life, right? And Noah was what? God declared him to be a righteous man. This is what God said about him and why he was spared from the flood, right? He said, Noah, you're a righteous man. The book of Hebrews tells us that Noah was declared righteous, not because of some special works that he did or because he's better off than, than all the other people, but because he had faith. In Hebrews eleven seven, it says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So Noah's faith pleased God. His faith pleased God. He was declared Righteous. This is what it says in verse 6 of Hebrews eleven six. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So we looked at the life of Noah over the last two weeks. Noah's faith also produced something. His, his faith, his belief in God's promises, it produced something. Right? What did it produce? It produced works and obedience. Right? Because we know that what was Noah doing? He was building a boat in the middle of the desert because God said, I'm sending a flood and I'm going to save you. Two promises that were all future. In fact, it took Noah a hundred years to build that boat, but he was believing God. And even after he built the boat and then he was out on the waters, and the water subsided. He, we, we read about last week about his patience and how patient he was waiting for God to say, come out of the boat. I got everything ready for you. And, and how much that looks like just the parallel story of Genesis 1 and 2 of God recreating everything for us today, in fact. So Noah's faith, it produced something. And so last week, what I was trying to show us and in, in, and help us see is that it's, it's Noah's faith, believing in, in God's future promises is what empowered him to be obedient. It wasn't looking back at all that God did. When he did look back at all that God did after he got through the flood, what did he do? He worshiped him. So these are the things that we want to talk about today. 
We want to see this dynamic of how grace gives us power today. And how grace gives us power for the future. For the things that we are about to walk in as, as we believe in God's promises each and every day. And what we saw was Noah's faith produced works, right? I know I've said that, but that also shows us that James, Jesus's brother, was absolutely right when he penned this. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So there's, there's this mixing of, of terms and mixing of ideas here that sometimes we get all mixed up. Sometimes we think that what we do is we look back at all that Jesus did and then somehow we got to pay him back for everything that he did for us. So I'm going to work really hard. And the things that I really work hard at, like reading my Bible or praying or witnessing or doing good things, many of those things, we stumble and fall at those things. And because we think that we, were, we are paying God back, we are heaping guilt and condemnation on us that is not there. Why? Because if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation for you. And, and that is not going to empower you to get up the next day and do these things. What is going to empower you is believing in all the future promises that God has given us. All the future promises. And once you start seeing this, it is all over the Bible. It's, it's all over the Bible. In our, our group Monday night, I pulled out a couple passages. And in fact, I got one passage in, two passages in, and then other people were pulling passages out of the Bible. Hey, it's here. Hey, it's here. Yeah, it's everywhere. It's believing in what God has promised us, that future grace that he has given us. There's power in that. He will meet us there with his grace. So Noah, to be obedient, to be patient, to put up with all that he did, building an ark in the middle of the desert, is faith in God's future grace. And brother and sister, if you're sitting here today, and I, I know I haven't given that hook for you to say, why should I pay attention to this? Do you need tomorrow a little bit of God's future grace? Because you're walking in his grace 10 seconds from now when you take a breath. That's his grace that he's pouring out on you minute by minute that you live. This grace for Noah was represented by being told to build the boat, being sealed in the boat, by being blessed when he got out of the boat, and by a covenant being made with him in all of creation, that he will never destroy the earth with water. So when this grace empowered Noah for a hundred years while building a boat in the middle of a desert. What I would like to do today is kind of zoom in and see how grace gives us power and how believing in God's promises of future grace is how we are empowered to overcome our rebellion also. Because believing the promises of God, believing in future grace, if you think of the tree that we often talk about around here where, where we often look at our, the fruits of our sin... And we really need to get to the roots of the sin. What unearths those roots is the belief in God's promises of future grace. That's what unearths these roots of sin. We looked at Cain and Abel, right? Cain murdered. We, 
We saw the, the murder. That would be the fruit, but it was at the root of it. It was envy, right? It was envy of his brother. In many cases, the problem of our rebellion and disobedience is diagnosed as a lack of gratitude. You just, you're just, you don't have, you're not gracious enough. You don't thank God enough. It's, it's diagnosed that way. But you know what? The Bible doesn't show us that. Does gratitude play a part? Absolutely. He has done so much for us, especially if you're sitting here today in Christ. He has done so much for you. But the Bible doesn't say, look at this. And and the lack of that is why we continue to rebel, continue to do and not obey. Let's look at one example. This is Moses talking to Israel in Deuteronomy 1, 30 through 32. It says, the Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you. Okay, so Israel, Moses is talking to Israel. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. Here's the promise. God will fight for you. There's the promise. That's all future. When you go into the land, there's, yes, there's many different armies, many different nations, but God will fight for you. That's all future. They're going to walk into this future grace that God is providing in his promise. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Okay, so now he's reminding them of what he's done already, which shows his character. That way you can believe his promise, right? Just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son, just giving them an illustration, all the way that you went until you came to this place. So he's carried you all the way to this place. Even though they were wandering around the desert because of their disobedience, he's carried them to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. You did not believe to go in and trust him. What is happening here? They're refusing to go into the promised land, refusing to believe in God's future grace of him fighting for them. Moses reminds them of what God did so they are grateful, but it does not motivate them because they do not believe in the future grace that they're about to walk into. That God will provide when they step into the promised land. That God will provide for them. The main problem with using gratitude to empower obedience is our fallen hearts. John Piper says it this way in his book. Now, I've, I've read this book so many times. I've watched the seminar so many times. I'm not really sure where Piper begins and I start as we're talking about this. I've just saturated myself because it was something that's just absolutely helped me over the last five years with my walk with God. And I want it to help you. Piper says this about our fallen hearts. There's an impulse in the fallen human heart, all of our hearts, to forget that gratitude is a spontaneous response of joy to receiving something over and above what we paid for. That's what gratitude is. Like he's given us more than we deserve. When someone gives you more than you deserve, the spontaneous joy that you have for that is gratitude. When we 
forget this. What happens is that gratitude starts to be misused and distorted as an impulse to pay for this very thing that came to us gratis, which is getting something without price of payment. So this is the birthplace to a a term that I introduced last week called the debtor's ethic. In other words, I'm going to pay you back, right? Now, many of us have done this. Someone does something nice for us. They take us to dinner. They give us a ride. They give us something that they had, you know, that they weren't using anymore. And all of a sudden, we start automatically. What do we do? Well, how can I pay him back? We start even looking for opportunities to pay him back. That's what we're getting at here. But we run into a big problem whenever we're trying to pay God back. Because it's grace that we're saved. It's grace. It's not by our works. The debtor's ethic, Piper goes on to say, because you have done something good for me, I feel indebted to do something good for you. This is not what gratitude is designed to produce. God meant gratitude to be a spontaneous expression of pleasure in the gift and the goodwill of another. He did not mean it to be an impulse to return favors. If gratitude is twisted into a sense of debt, it gives birth to the debtor's ethic, and the effect is to nullify grace. So some of you were taught the gospel by this. You become righteous by not doing X, Y, Z. I bet you a lot of you, if you be honest with yourself right now, that's exactly how you were taught the gospel. Okay, if, if you want to be in the presence of God, if you want to be with God, here's a list of things that you better not do. You're just working your way. You're trying to pay your way back, right? I, that's exactly how I was taught the gospel. But the gospel is, this is everything God did. You didn't do anything. The only thing we do is repent and believe, and, and that's through the help of the Holy Spirit, But the main thing we do is we actually see the position we're in and how poor in spirit we are when we look at everything that God has done. This is what I'm trying to dig at. Because many of us have been taught that way. And it's not that. And and then so we hear we hear about this grace. We hear we hear about the, the grace of God. So we start walking in in his grace and and a little bit of it falls off and we take two steps forward and we come up against it. And then what do we want to do? We want to run back and and pay God back for all that he's done. Oh man, I didn't, I didn't read my Bible. I didn't pray today. I'm a miserable Christian. Well, you're still walking in his grace. You're still his. You can't be cast out. You're his forever. If he bought you at a price, you were his period. This is what I'm digging at. I want to free you up. I want you to be free to walk in grace. I want you to feel convicted that I haven't been spending time with my father, but I don't want you to feel crushed and depressed because you missed a couple days. Because there's grace. It's the gospel. Now, gratitude itself does not nullify grace. It exalts in Grace. It was created by God to echo grace. It is a central response of the heart to the grace of God. If you're trying to pay God back by your obedience or by good works, then you are no longer walking in grace or by faith. 
You have wrestled that away from God and, and said, I'm my own autonomous man or woman. I will do this on my own. That's not the Christian life. That's not the gospel. Free yourself. Believe in the true gospel. What happens is, is when we try to pay him back, it becomes a transaction. It's no longer grace. It's no longer the gospel. That is not Christianity if you think there's some kind of transaction that happens. It's all of grace. It's all his doing. This is what empowers us. This is what I want to focus on is the power of grace. Normally we think of grace as God's disposition and it is. It is God's disposition. The disposition of God to treat us better than we deserve. Absolutely it is. Romans 11, five through six says this. So too at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by God. There's a disposition. He chose by God, the remnant. Nothing anybody did. In fact, it goes on to say, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Right? It's his disposition. He chooses. Just like he chose to grieve our sin coming out of the garden. It's his disposition. Disposition. But grace has another side of the coin, so to speak. It is power to change things. It's active in our lives. It's working in our lives. Grace is power to change things. It is active in our lives. And now we get to our passage in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10. Listen to Paul and what he's about to say. And this is what we're going to unpack with the rest of the time we have. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So what are we doing? We're, we're picking up Paul reminding those in Corinth the gospel that he preached to them, right? This is the gospel that I preached to you, that Christ died for our sins. He rose on the third day in all accordance with Scripture. And how does Paul know about this gospel? Well, Jesus appears to him. He appears to him on the road to Dam on the Damascus Road, right? Just as he appeared to the other apostles, he also appeared to Paul. But Paul says something about himself within this passage, doesn't he? He says, I am the least of the apostles, right? I am the least of the apostles out of all the apostles. Why is he, what is his reasoning? Why is he saying that? Well, it's because he persecuted the bride, the church. So how does someone who persecuted the church, who drugged people out of their homes and took them to prison, become an apostle. How did that happen? Paul tells us in, in verse 10, by the grace of God, 
I am what I am. So the grace that Paul was speaking of here is the plan and the power that made him an apostle. It is the plan and the power that made him an apostle. This is grace that came to Paul as power in the past. Right? This is what made him an apostle. Now, what I'm about to do is to stretch your idea of God's providence a little bit. Because there's, when you go digging to see what Paul says about him becoming an apostle, you see some interesting things pop up. And within God's plan, we see this in Galatians 1, 15 through 16. Here within this passage, Paul is giving his credentials, right? There's some Judaizers that roll into, in, in, into Galatia, and they, uh, they're trying to add works to the gospel. So if you're struggling with this works thing, Galatians is a real good book to go and meditate upon, right? So Paul is giving his credentials in, in Galatians 1, and starting in, in verse 15, this is what it says. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by what? His grace, was pleased to reveal to his son to me on the Damascus road, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And then he goes on, and it's the rest of the sentence. I did not immediately consult with anyone. In other words, the gospel that I'm preaching is because Jesus is the one that taught it to me, right? He later did go on and, and talk to Peter, make sure that he's not in error. But let's go back and look at this. But when he who had set me apart before I was born. Okay, so at some point in time, Paul was born. But before that, God set him apart. Set him apart to be apostle, Right? Obviously, he's a believer too, but setting him apart to be apostle. So from this part, when he was born, he was already set apart all the way up until the Damascus Road. What did Paul do? He sinned the whole time. He was persecuting the church. And God allowed him to do so. God chose to grieve Paul's sin. Up to the point in time, whenever he appears to him on the Damascus Road and saves him. God's sovereign over everything. This passage is where you've probably heard me say, if you're in group or spend any time around with me, you'll be exactly sanctified as much as God wants you to be whenever he takes you out. Just like he allows things with Paul up to that point. God's allowing. His, his heart is grieving as Paul is sinning. But there was a point. He, he called him before he was born and allowed all that to happen until this point in time. God is sovereign. He's providence, his providential care over everything. And the first thing we want to say is autonomous human beings is why would God do that? Now, most of the time we don't get the answer. And that's what frustrates us a lot is we don't get the answer to the why question. But here we do. If you turn with me to 1 Timothy 1 through 13, 
1, 13 through 16, it'll be up on the screen for us. We see why. Why did God allow that to happen? This is Paul speaking. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. There's the grace again. It overflowed for me power with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So he's a sinner. He's the foremost sinner. He is the foremost, right, blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. That's what he's saying. But I receive mercy for this reason. Why did he receive mercy? That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. The reason is future. So that we can read it today, and someone sitting here today can be encouraged that you are not too far from God. You are not too far from God. That when someone you are witnessing to tells you, you don't know what I've done, you can go to this text and you can say to them, God's grace has the power to overcome what you have done. God's grace has the power to overcome what you have done. God's grace came and overpowered all that Paul did. And he says he was the foremost of sinners. By the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am. The power of God to change me. It is the power of grace to change him. He goes on to say in this passage, and his grace towards me was not in vain. What would it what would be vain grace then? What would be the opposite? Well, he continues to say in the next sentence exactly what it would be. So, but by grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So grace would have come to Paul in vain if it would not have made him a worker. If it would have not made him a worker. Paul was not working to pay God back. Paul was working because the grace of God was working in him and through him. If grace would have come to Paul on the Damascus Road and saved him, restored his relationship with God, opened eternal life for him, and he just sat down in a chair for the rest of his days, grace would have been in vain. If Paul on the Damascus Road and say in in and God saved him on the Damascus Road. If God would have restored his relationship with God, opened eternal life for him, and he just sat down in his chair for the rest of his days, grace would have been 
in vain. But Paul says, no, no, on the contrary, I worked harder than all of them. I worked harder than all of them. I didn't work harder to pay God back. I worked harder because grace was working in me. Grace does not replace work, but empowers it. Some of us have this idea of grace as, oh man, I'm saved by God's grace. I don't have to do anything anymore. It's all under grace. I don't have to do anything. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul said, because of grace, because of the power of grace, I worked harder than everybody else. What did he work harder at? Displaying the gospel, preaching the gospel, planning churches, doing the Lord's work. He worked harder than all of them, not to pay God back, but because grace, the power of grace was working in him. Living in grace does not mean that you do not expend any effort. It means that you trust, have faith in God's grace to empower those efforts. It's by his grace, living a life dependent on God, walking with God, just like Enoch, just like Moses, just like Noah. Then Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. The grace that is with him. The grace that is empowering him. Grace is with me, he says. So when you are turning off the Netflix, right? To go do your family devotions or to go to your study for your D group or to go and witness on the campus or to go to your life group with your college friends, the grace of God will be with you as you go. In fact, the grace of God is there waiting on you. That is why it is faith in future grace. I believe that grace I need for doing my devotions, telling my coworker, classmate about Jesus, will be there when I arrive at that point in time. It'll be there. And that grace will give me power. Power to overcome my flesh. Grace is with you. It is with Paul. You're not working to pay God back. You're working because grace is working in you and he has given us a purpose. He has called us to do some things. We see the same idea in Philippians 2, 12 through 13. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's the same idea. It's the same idea. The same idea there as I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Which should leave us with one and last question as we wind time down. How? How do I do that? What is, what is my part in all of this? Are we just gloves laying around waiting for God's hand of grace to fill us and animate us to obey and do work? 
I don't think so. I don't think that's how it works. It seems to me that Paul says, as I worked harder, he charged the Philippians to work out your salvation, to actually strive towards the goal. That's, Paul gives us the beautiful picture of, of a race in many places that he has written. We see this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Same, same idea here. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Okay, so it's no longer I who live, Christ lives in me. It's no longer me working, but God working in me. It's no longer, you know, I'm working so hard, but God is working in me and, and through me to give me the power to do this. So how, what is my part in this? Other than we actually got to get in motion. He goes on to say, in the life I now live, in the flesh, that's us. We're all living this life until he takes us home in the flesh. I live by what? Faith. Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The how is faith. It's faith in God's promises. It's faith that God said that I have saved you and one day I'm going to return and come and get you. One day there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. The how is faith. It's your faith. Believing, trusting in God's promises. Trusting that whenever I get there, he's going to be there with the grace to empower me to do this. And I know that that can get all mixed up, right? Where we're, we're trusting in God's power to do something that is no more godly than, right? Any pagan person would believe, right? Or do. Don't go there. This is all within the context of being an ambassador of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, doing his work, doing his will, praying to know what that is as you go in life. So it's faith. Through faith, this is how grace kicks in so powerful to be with us. It's, it's through our faith. Faith in all that God has promised we see this in Hebrews 11. It's all through Hebrews 11, right? How faith, in, in verse 1, how faith is the assurance of things hoped for, future. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. In other words, you have assurance of the things hoped for. Why? Because of the things that God has done in the past and you know who God is. Right? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. We hope for grace to come because God promises it. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19 gives us another example. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Now when he offered up Isaac, he did some work, didn't he? He gathered a wood, he got the knife, he made the backpack, he got two of his servants to go with him, and then off they go to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. He did the work, right? He built the, the altar, he laid Isaac down, he did all the work. Now listen to his mindset. What is he believing in? And he who had received the promises, okay, so wait a minute, Abraham's received some promises, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, to Isaac shall your offspring be named. There's a, there's a promise that through him, 
The, the seed will continue. It even ties into where we're at in Genesis. This is the seed that is continuing. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, we know that the story goes that there was a lamb caught in a thicket, and that became the sacrifice. And that's obviously pointing to the lamb, the son of God, who sacrificed for everybody, right? But do you see that, that, that Abraham, the whole time, he was trusting in God. Either, you know, in his thinking, what the writer wrote down was, well, maybe God will just raise him from the dead, even if I sacrifice him. God had a different plan, but he was trusting him. How many do you think of us would have the power to go through with this? If God said to you, go sacrifice your son. It's all his promises, believing his promises. Like, God, this doesn't make sense to me, but I trust you, and I believe that the grace will be there when I need it. Hebrews 11, 20 through 26 gives us Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. In other words, that I'm going to be mistreated instead of all the, the great things... Now, why? How did he have the power to do that? How did he have the power to walk through this? He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Now, here's the ground for this whole statement. Four. What was he looking to? To the rewards. He was looking to the future grace. How was he able to do this? Through faith and future grace. He was believing the rewards. So I'll take the beatings now. I'll take the punishment now. I'll be mistreated now because one day I'll have a greater reward. That's our power to, to obey. It's our power to do the works we need to do today. It's always believing and trusting in and having faith in all that God has promised us in the future. And we go back full circle to 11.7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark. He did the work for the saving of his family and his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. He believed in God. He trusted God. Build the ark, Noah. Okay, in the middle of the desert, sure. Took me a hundred years, but I'm believing God. That's what empowered him. Let's just look at one more passage. First Peter four eleven. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as kind of doing works and being obedient, as one who serves by the strength that God what supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So, if we are to live, everything we do is to glorify God. Then that means that whatever you're going to do this afternoon, if you are trusting in God's future grace to be there when you get there to do that. Whenever you get there and you do that and God's grace shows up, who's going to get the glory? It's not Joe. It's God, because he provided it. The giver of the grace gets the glory. So Mountain City Church, our mission is to make much of God and make disciples of Jesus. 
Do we do this in our own power? No, we don't. We do this by the power of grace that comes to us when we believe that as we go make disciples, as we go to class and make disciples, as we go to work and make disciples, as we um, tend to our children in our home, we make disciples. As you go make disciples, the grace of God is coming with us and is ahead of us just like it did with Paul. And then when we get there, it's not Joe that did it. It's not Daniel that did it. It's not Nate that did it. It's God did it because he met me there with his grace and his promises. And therefore, I give him the glory. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. My last question to you is, have you experienced God's grace ever like this in your life? Maybe today's your day. Maybe today's your day. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I know that the Holy Spirit will work on each and every believer's heart today. Lord, as we continue in the future looking at how grace is such a beautiful thing, it gives us power. It is your disposition not to give us what we deserve. Lord, I pray today if, if there's one there that's like, man, I, I'm trusting in myself. I don't trust in this grace. Lord, I pray that, that they would turn from what they're trusting in and trust and believe in you. And we know that that only happens through, the, through you wooing them and through your spirit changing their hearts so they can do so. If not, they would just continue in their rebellion and not care. But Lord, today's the day of salvation. God, I pray that you will move today. And for us who have been stumbling around for a while, and Lord, I pray that we would see your grace. We would walk in your grace. We would trust in your grace and trust in your future grace. You will meet us there because you Man, you are a sovereign God who loves us and cares for us because we are your children. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.